Greetings everybody, those of you that have just slotted in, thank you so much that I can serve you today with a message of his life, the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us just thank the Lord for this service. Father, I want to thank you that we can be here today. Holy Spirit, thank you that you speak powerfully through me and that my trust and reliance can only be in the Spirit of God, the very life force of God himself bringing forth and speaking life to people. Amen and amen. Today we're going to talk about the uh, law that is not enough. And we're going to talk about what God had planned for us, what God had dreamt for us. What I'm very pleased to see is that more and more people are starting to grab a hold of the message of the resurrection, the, the importance of the death and the resurrection of Jesus and those people are, some of them are very influential church people. It's amazing for me to see how, we've, we, how the Lord brings in something and how it spreads to his body and how more people start to see that salvation is actually more about God giving you existence, God giving you eternal life, his eternal existence, wherein the opposite of that would be eternal death or non-existence complete utter death uh, and how he's come to preserve our lives it's good to see that more and more people get into that because number one that is the truth and that i believe is the key wherein we and from where we are experiencing the very life of god now for those of you that uh, did partake in our communion service you will remember that i read from Acts 13 and I'm going to just quickly recap on that and that will be a wonderful foundation springboard from where we can uh, speak about uh, the salvation of man's essence or of man's very being. Acts 13 verse 38 it says be it known therefore unto you men and brethren that through this man this is the man Jesus is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So what he's talking about and what the context of this passage is, is simply David and that David was, ra was not raised from the dead, but that Jesus was raised from the dead, wherein Jesus is then seen as the one that has fulfilled the messianic promises. And what it says here is that Jesus was raised up again to see no bodily corruption. Now, um, I think some folk that listen to me online must say, Bertie, we're hearing this thing about resurrection every day. We're hearing it all the time. We're hearing about corruption, not corruption, eternal life in the flesh, bodily resurrection. We hear that all the time. Now, I will preach on this as long as what I feel the Lord puts it uh, in my heart. And I'm not preaching on this because I don't study or don't have my mind in the Scriptures. I do study. And I find that that is basically what all of the Scripture is about. What it is about is that God had to come and forgive man 
of their sins. The forgiveness of sins cannot be measured by the law, wherein man had a transgression towards a holy God, wherein there is a just punishment from God towards disobedient people. But forgiveness of sins is actually God delivering man from death in his body. That is what it is actually all about. It is God forgiving or delivering you from decay or what we would call annihilation, dying. That's what he has come to deliver you from. And this is what this passage is all about. Read carefully with me. If you've got a Bible with me, uh, with you, open it up. If you've got your phone there, a Bible app, open it up and let's read it together. It says here in verse 36, for David... Which he had, which had served his generation by the will of God, fell asleep. He died, and was laid unto his fathers, and saw corruption. So did David see corruption? Yes, he died. His body decayed. He was. He, he, uh, he saw corruption. But he who God raised again saw no corruption. He's not referring to Lazarus here. He's referring to Jesus. But he who God raised again saw no corruption. Be it. Known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Can you see how the Apostle Paul in the Acts 13 here connects forgiveness of sins to bodily immortality? So what would sin then be? David could not deliver you from sin. Why? Because he was dying himself. So if a person that is immortal cannot forgive you of sin... It means that sin needs to be defined in having the power to end corruptibility or end mortality. That is what it is all about. But here it says that there was a man that was raised from the, from the dead and he saw no corruption. And that, that's why it says, Be it therefore, or be it known unto you therefore, or on account of his bodily immortality and incorruptibility, or what you would call Eternal existence as a human being. On account of Jesus existing forever as a human being, having human flesh that can never die, because he possesses that power over death in the flesh, and he has actually conquered death in human flesh, let it known, be known to you that through him, who knows how to get that right in human flesh, is preached unto you today the deliverance or the forgiveness of sin in the flesh or the deliverance of decay in the human body. That's preached unto you and you have the hope to be raised up just like him by his spirit of life. That is what it says. And then the signs of this eternal life will already now show in you, which is things like kindness, peace, freedom, deliverance, uh, uh, ending of addictions, uh, just the fruit of the Spirit, basically. Okay, now, uh, with that in mind, well, let me just read one more verse there. It says here, And by him all that believe, believe what? Believe that Jesus was raised, and you will have resurrection as well. They are justified from all things from which you can, could not be justified by the law of Moses, meaning that we have no need of the law of Moses. We don't have to try and follow laws to be successful in this world. We don't have to try and follow laws to have life. We don't have to 
uh, uh, try and follow laws, to have kindness and peace and have compassion that is born from God in our hearts. It is a effortless life as pertaining to the effort that we have to put in connected to Adam's sweating of the brow wherein he will till the ground until he returns to the dust that he came out of because we're not tilling the ground anymore we're not tilling our mortality anymore to to have life from it we are now believing on the one that can give life and therefore we're not tilling the ground anymore that's why we're not having dust everywhere now that is a I mean, that can uh, be a little bit difficult for some of us to understand, but let me explain this. The more you live, the more you till the ground that you came from means the more you try to live by your own flesh, the more fleshly it becomes around you. The more you see the fruit of the flesh around you. But as you are relying upon Jesus to give your flesh eternal life, you are not stirring up the dust anymore because you're resting, waiting for Him. It would be like taking a pond with clear water and we know at the bottom of the pond there is mud. And if somebody comes and tells you, I'm, I'm bringing you a golden coin, what will you do? You will sit next to the pond, enjoy the beauty of the pond and the bird life and everything that is there. Look at some of the fish in the pond and so forth. And you will enjoy clear water, a beautiful scenery and everything, waiting peacefully for someone to bring you the golden coin that he has promised you. But if you think that the golden coin is inside at the bottom of that little pond, uh, although it might just be three feet deep, and you think that you need to go and get the gold out of the pond, you will be so busy stirring up the mud that you will not have, no, you will not have anything beautiful to look at. You will just have murky, muddy water. You will see no fish. You will not enjoy the bird life. You'll have no tranquility, nothing. Why? Because you're stirring up the mud. In the very same way, man is a mortal being. And the more you try to live by your own ability in obeying the law, the more you're stirring up the dust you came from, and it becomes very dusty. You cannot see anymore. It's almost like a veil that is over your face. Now it says here uh, in verse 39 that all who believe are justified from all the things from which the law of Moses could not justify us and then verse 40 be be beware therefore lest comes upon you which was spoken of in the prophets behold you despisers you wander and you perish for I work a work in your days a work which you shall in no way believe though a man declares it unto you so <laughs> what what is he saying here is actually saying to both Jew and Gentile that David is not the big shot. The big shot is Jesus, whom the Jews crucified, or, or I mean betrayed into the hands of the sinners, and whom the Romans crucified. That very Jesus, who was raised from the dead, from his eternal existence as a human being he offers eternal life as a free gift to all people free from the works of the law which could not give what jesus had in mind for man it says here that this work is so great that you will marvel 
You will marvel at it. It's marvelous to think of what God has attained. It's marvelous for us as Christians to actually know that we are at a place where God has come to forgive us, not just in the sense of, not in a legalistic way, but in a existence way. Or, if I want to use a complicated word or big word, an ontological way. He's come to save us ontologically. And we're going to discuss that a little bit more today. Okay, right. Let us get uh, into the message uh, today. This was just an introduction. I would like to talk about, like I said, what this gospel message actually is. He's talking about, and what I mentioned is, we're talking about an ontological salvation. What is that? Now, ontology is basically the study of existence. That is what it is. The ontology comes from the old Greek word onto, which simply means the, um, the word forming, the element meaning, in other words, a being, an individual being or existence. So if, if we say onto, and this is what it means, means existence, ontology would simply means the study or the expl- explanation of existence. So when God made man, what did man become? Man became a human being. He became a living soul. Or in the Hebrew, I don't like the word living soul. It is a, it's a bad word in the light of today's uh, Gnostic understanding of the gospel. We should simply say, and he became a living being. Afrikaans would be a levende wese. So if you look at man becoming a living being and you study his being, what would you say is he? You would say he is dust that came alive. He is, and what we would today say ontologically about us, we would define ourselves as humans. That would be the right word. And if we look at the um, defining salvation ontologically, we have to come and see How does God preserve the human being forever? So God comes, and I read a beautiful article on this, and uh, people, you just need to understand, I don't share what article I read or what book I read, because should I do that, I might differ with 20 points um, that that man has. And then there's one thing that was nice, which is in line with what I already used, but if I tell you what I read, then you're going to say, oh yeah, you know, people are so much in categorizing folk. You know, you, oh, so that means you're of this group or you're of that group. No, I'm of no group. I just read the Bible and want to see what the truth is. But what this guy says, and this is so good, he says, God has given us being. We became human beings. And then what he basically says is then he, God wants to give us well-being and then eternal being, which I don't agree with. fully I believe God has given us being and then gave us the promise of eternal being and as we believe upon the promise of eternal being we are experiencing well-being that is how it works that's why we can never through well-being attain 
eternal being. We need to first have eternal being. And from the promise of eternal life, God brings forth the fruit of the Spirit inside us. Glory to God. But I think it's beautiful for us to understand that God gave us being, existence. And He said to this being that exists, you can die. I promise you eternal life. I promise you all of this. This might sound like something that I've said a million times here, but the focus that I have, and you will see that the message that I preached before I went to Brazil, was about the fruit of God in our lives, how God brings forth fruit in our lives, how God brings forth eternal life inside us. And we have seen now also that this resurrection pertains unto how we live every day. And that is what we struggle with. Many of us, I mean, I'm now doing marriage counseling with people. We're always busy giving advice when it comes to marriages and those kind of things. And I find that a lack of understanding on what the resurrection is, what God has come to give us, a lack of that brings so much trouble in marriages. Because all of a sudden, man wants to find existence and life. Man wants to have his marriage to exist within the parameters of how he must treat his wife and how his wife must treat him and so forth. Instead of both of them finding their identity in the resurrected Jesus from where they will have the very life of God, which would be a perfect platform from where, wherein God would bring forth love to each other. So this might sound very theological, might sound very philosophical, but I want to say to you that this concept of, or this framework, wherein God has blessed, that I'm sharing with you today, is really the source from where you will have peace in your marriage, where you will know how to raise your kids where your kids will know how to honor their parents. It is the foundation from wherein you will treat your workers that work for you in your business respectfully and with life. It is the very foundation from where a worker will honor his boss in a way that is fitting for people who believe in Jesus Christ. This is truly the foundation. Now, I want to um, read I think I'm, did I miss that passage now? No. Let us go to Hebrews. I said that I don't have it in my notes. We're going to go to Hebrews 8 and we're going to read from verse 7. Hebrews 8 and verse 7. Listen to this. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for a second. For finding fault with them, or finding fault with people, God said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, says the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel in those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind, and I will write them in their heart, and they will be, and I will be to them a God, and they will be to me a people. Okay, so what is he saying here? He's basically saying that God had a dream. The dream that God had with humanity was eternal existence. He wanted to give us um, eternal being as 
humans. That is what he wanted to give us. You might say, Bafti, but uh, are you then saying, and I said it to a very good friend of me, mine last night, when we were talking about this, he says, Bafti, are you basically saying that we will never live separate from our bodies as spirits? I said the answer to that is very simple. Will God ever separate the spirit of Jesus from his body to live separate from his body one day? He says, no. I say, well, that's your answer. That is the answer. Jesus is the word of God about God's dream for humanity, God's fulfillment of that dream for humanity. He is the only word or the only mediator between God and man. He is the one that gives the true message that God wants to bring forth and brings perfect mediation between God and man, wherein mediation talks about to set at one again, to end enmity, to make one. He is the perfect one wherein God and man was made one, and we see a human in the seat of God, which is an eternal, immortal being. What he says here in Hebrews, with that in mind, is he says that the first covenant, if the first covenant was faultless, meaning if the law didn't have faults, if the law was perfect in what it must bring us, in connection to God's dream, if the law was the way unto eternal life without believing in Jesus, but by obeying its commands, there would have been no need to bring another covenant. So it says here, for if the first covenant had been faultless, there should have not been sought any need for a second. For God finding fault with them, and is not referring to the law here, but to the people under the law, behold, excuse me, for God finding fault with them, he says, behold the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So what God does is, he looks at man the way a doctor would look at his patient. If a patient has got stomach pain, you know, then the doctor would look at the, the patient and he would feel and everything and make sure that uh, and try and diagnose the problem. And he might say to the person, I think you're stressed out. And then he might give him some pill that can relax him a bit. And he can also tell him how to, you know, tell him go to bed earlier. Don't uh, do these breathing exercises. Go and walk a bit, jog a bit, exercise a bit to get rid of your stress. And then your stomach ache will go away. But if he gives that advice and the stomach ache does not go away, he must know that the pulse he subscribed, the advice he gave, doesn't work. It is not good enough. He's finding actually fault with the medication since the person is not healed. He's basically saying that if the medication was correct, then the person would have been fine. But here he says that God found fault with the first covenant why? Why was the first covenant faulty? Because he found fault with people. People weren't healed. People weren't set free. People weren't experiencing what God wanted and dreamt for them. Therefore, he found fault with the covenant. If I go and I say to you, you've, and I want to use just another example, which might be a little bit better. You might have a pain in your, in your arm. 
you feel, or let's say you've got back pain, you've got back pain. The doctor can say, listen, here's a, a, a pill that is a muscle relaxer and it will relax your muscles and it's going to really help you. You drink the pill, it is not helping. Meantime, you've got a tumor growing against your spine. And now or in your spine, pressing against the nerve in your back. I mean, <laughs> something that is just relaxing your muscles is not going to heal you. So if you look at the person not being healed, the problem is obviously with the medication, not the person. And this is the analogy that is being used here. I don't think that God did find fault with the law because the Bible says the law is perfect. The law was perfect to bring man to the place wherein you know that only Jesus can save you. The law was also perfect for Jesus to look at to know what he had to do and how to bring salvation forth for people. But the law is not the way, our obedience to commandments is not the way whereby we will have eternal life. The Ten Commandments cannot give you bodily immortality. It cannot save you from mortality inside the flesh or death sting, which is sin, inside the flesh. It cannot do that. It cannot set you free. That's why the scripture says, and God finding fault. God was finding fault with the first. He was saying, um, for if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with people, still seeing imperfections in people, he basically says, well, I'm seeing imperfections in a human. I don't find any human having eternal life by this. So I need to find a different way wherein I can bless these people. These people don't have the ability to obey the law. That makes the law weak. That makes the law weak, not man, the law. The law is weak unto salvation. It says here that um, he found fault with the people, and then he said, Behold, the days come when, when, when I will make a new covenant. And then he says the new covenant is that he will write his law in our mind and in our heart. I like especially the part where he says he will write his law in our heart. I believe, and this is just my opinion, that when he talks about the law written in the heart, he's referring to the old Mesopotamian concept of divination, wherein they would ask God about their future, and then they would lay hands on an animal, pray that God would give them directions uh, 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 of the future through this animal, and then they would cut the throat of the animal uh, cut him open, let his intestines be spilled on the ground, and then they had a certain way wherein they would read how the heart lies, how the liver lies, how the kidneys lie, and so forth, and then they would believe that God through that would give them advice on the future. And they would then believe that the message of the future was written on the heart of this animal or in the kidneys of this animal or in the liver of this animal. They even today have old uh, stones that was chiseled out in the form of a heart with inscriptions on, uh, telling you that if the heart looks like this, if the veins look in a certain way and so forth, that it would have a certain message about the future. They were trained in divination. So I believe that when God is saying here, 
that I want to write my law on your heart, which is the law of life. What he's actually saying is inside you physically, in your understanding as well as inside your physical body, I'm going to write the first signs of where you prophetically will be in the resurrection. And I do believe that when he writes his laws on our hearts, it is not talking about me in my heart now wanting to do good. It's actually bringing an understanding and a belief from where we will see fruit coming from our heart, which is the fruit of the Spirit being a sign of and a knowing of where we will end up in the resurrection of Jesus, which is uh, eternal existence. Glory to God. So, um, it, let us go to another verse in the Bible. We go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Romans 8 verse 1. This is the very same thing again. Romans 7, in the end, Paul says, I've come to the acknowledgement of what is truly the problem with humans, the good that I want to do with my inner man, and then he's not referring to his spirit, he's referring to his mind. He says, with my inner man I serve the law, therefore with my mind I want to do what is good, but I cannot and I find that there's this law with me that when I want to do the good, evil is with me. And then he expresses the problem. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me? Who will save me from this dying body? I need a, somebody that has conquered bodily death so that he can help me to love my neighbor. Because the problem here is I am moving and this is what Paul was basically saying and that's why it's called death. God has given existence and from this existence we through his love towards us can move into eternal existence. That's what ontology, I mean onto means, means existence. So God has granted us existence. You'll remember I've said many times in the messages that I don't like the word eternal life. I like the word eternal existence. Because that is what I believe the scripture teaches. I don't want to say I believe. That is what the scripture teaches. God gave us existence. He gave Adam existence. And he said to Adam, Adam, you can lose your existence. Because the stuff you made from is the dust of this earth. You don't have eternal existence inside yourself. But I promise you this. Let me love on you, let my spirit be yours, and so forth. And I will bring you to this eternal existence. Adam didn't believe that. And he started to walk in the power of his own existence. And then he says, I need salvation from bodily death. That's what I need. I need somebody that can give eternal existence to my human body. That's what I need. Who can give it to me? And then Jesus, then he says in Romans chapter 8, uh, I thank God through Jesus Christ. Then verse chapter 8 verse 1, Therefore, on account of Jesus' bodily resurrection, from where we can have the forgiveness or the deliverance of death in the flesh, uh, there is no condemnation to us anymore or slipping away into a place where in there would be eternal death. So, let me say it like this. I'm going to say it as simple as what it 
I possibly can. When I was in Brazil, I had like, I think, a two-hour message where I explained these things, and then I said at the end, isn't this simple? And the students started to laugh at me. I said, it is very simple because it sounds very difficult, but the simplicity of it is this. God made a human. He gave him existence. He said to him, I promise you eternal existence. This being says, no, I already have it. And then he started to slip away from existence into death. He's dying. That is it. He exists and now he's dying. Then God said, well, what I need to do is I need to conquer death. And if I can conquer death and I can show them that my promise from the beginning is the same and they believe upon me, then I will assure their eternal existence, which is clearly defined and the whole gospel message is defined in Jesus. God came and gave a, 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 brought forth a man from the womb of Mary, Jesus. This Jesus was mortal. God promised eternal existence to this human. What did he do? He believed God. And even, we, even if he entered into death, he believed the Father. Then the Father raised him from the dead, and there he is now, a human with the ex- very existence of God. That is the gospel. Let me make it simple. God makes man. He promised man eternal life. You believe him, he gives it to you. You don't believe him, you start to walk in the power of slipping away from eternal existence into non-existence. Non-existence is called, another word for that, is death. Death, where you'll just be a corpse that's dead. You have, a, you, you were completely corrupted. But now he says that through Jesus we've got the hope of eternal life. Hallelujah. I do have, and this might be a very difficult thing for some folk, but some will say, Bertie, but through this message that you're preaching, you're not giving a lot of place for the time between death and the resurrection. What's happening there? What about our loved ones? Do you just want to say they are just dead? There's no existence for them and whatsoever? To me, the best way I can explain that is along the following analogy. Paul comes and he calls death asleep. 1 Corinthians 15 is very clear on that. We talk about those that have slept in Christ, and then he talks about them being woken up out of their sleep. Now the question is, do you have any consciousness when you sleep? Now, my, my answer to that is very simple. When you sleep on the bed, do you have any consciousness? Kind of yes or no. My consciousness is, if I'm in a deep sleep, is in the form of a dream. That dream is maybe the best experience that I have had on this physical earth. I must say, my best experiences that I've ever had on this physical earth, uh, things like I can fly, I can be at more than one place at the same time, um, uh, 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 absolute joy and bliss, I've experienced while I was asleep. So I'm not saying, and I don't believe that we will have no consciousness once we have died. I do believe that there is a form of consciousness. But how that is, I don't know. And what I do say is that the only things we can have is what people have experienced. And these things contradict one another many times. So to me, this is what I say. I know that when I die, my life is in the hands of God. 
absolutely safe. But that is not what's the issue to me. To me, it's not about the life after death, but like N.T. Wright says, it is the life after the life after death that the Bible actually writes about. The eternal existence of the human body in the likeness of God or the complete human being. I I, I don't want to refer to us as human bodies, but human beings because that's what we are. We can see this clearly in Jesus. When Jesus died, the question was not, where is he after his death? The question is, was he raised? That's the question. That's the big question. And I believe that is what this is all about. And I want to submit to you, church, that when you see this resurrection, the, what it answers to and what it brings forth, it answers to the fulfillment of what God has promised and Him not being a liar. Plus, it brings to us a fruit of the Spirit that is not by our power. That's why it says in Romans 8 verse 1, Therefore, what, uh, there's no condemnation for them who um, walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In simple words, those who are not digging in the mud for the gold coin, but believe that someone's bringing him the gold coin, he is not going to see the death in the flesh all the time being stirred up. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, listen to this, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh mind the things of the flesh, and they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. Now, Walking in the Spirit, I've preached this before as well, walking in the Spirit does not mean that you just pray in tongues every day. Walking in the Spirit, according to uh, a Scripture and understanding it biblically, simply means having your life born from the very eternal existence of the human being, Jesus, giving you life from the very same source of life that gives Him eternal existence. Hallelujah. The old Bible words for eternal existence and non-existence is simply this. Eternal life or death. That's it. What is the gospel? What was the gospel that God preached to Adam? God made Adam, gave him being. Then he said, "I, you are a human being, but I want to give to you not just well-being, but I'm going to give you eternal being from where you'll experience well-being that is what he is saying that's what he preached to adam and that's what he preached to jesus and that is what jesus preaches to all of us what do we do we simply believe that jesus was raised from the dead and that his life is our life and as we rest upon that we experience the fullness of god's life one thing i want to answer you might say but bertie i am not experiencing that fullness of life right now The wonderful thing is that God has promised this and he also said to us, he gave us the spirit whereby we can know that we will have eternal life and that is seen by the fruit of the spirit manifesting us in us free from the law. And as I see the scripture says that if we look at Abraham, God promised him and he believed and after a long time, 
the promise was fulfilled. This is Hebrews 11. Uh, so, not just seemingly, but we can see clearly that the resurrection is to something that will take place in the future. So we know while we are yet mortal today, we are not finding our identity in the fact that we are still seeing mortality manifest in us. We are finding our identity in the resurrected Jesus and we find proof of that resurrection life in us today in how he sets us free from the fruit of the flesh. How we start to see love and peace and joy and kindness, generosity and those things in our lives free from our efforts. Can you see why there is no need to uh, um, for the law? Because whatsoever the law could ever promise us, we have by the rule of a man that has conquered sin in the flesh. We have always made the problem our disobedience to commands of the law. And because that was our problem, our solution was a father punishing a son. When we realize that there's an ontological issue here, a metaphysical conclusion issue, which ontologically is that we define ourselves not as spirits, that is eternal and immortal, but ontologically we are saying that we are mortal humans and mortality in the flesh is the problem. That's why the solution in a bodily resurrection of Jesus makes sense. And that's why we cannot have forgiveness of mortality or deliverance from mortality without a resurrection. I hope you can see how the gospel actually makes sense should you define the very being of a human as simply a human being and not some Gnostic uh, Socratic kind of a way where we define ourselves as more than human. God does have the ability to bring forth a spiritual body, which is exactly the same body as what Jesus has in all of us. Let us just believe him. Glory to God. My challenge to you is this. Go home. Some of you are home. Some might watch this on the road or whatever. Get to a quiet place. Pray to God. Say to God, God, I want to see this. I want this life that you're talking about manifesting in me. And as you're open for this, you will see this come forth in you. And I also want to encourage you. Maybe you might say, Bertie, I am not uh, somebody that wants to study things out into the depth and into the core. I just want a simple gospel to believe. Um, uh, I, I love my work and I love people and those kind of things and when it comes to the gospel things I just want can you just give me something simple to believe that I can just take and base my life on yes I can this is it God promises you eternal life physical eternal life as a human the problem with man is that he's dying Jesus was raised from the dead and he is now the he is now God in human, or if you want to say it this way, the God over humanity, ruling with his life over us. And as you believe in this resurrected Jesus, you just say, I, Lord, I believe that you were bodily raised and the fullness of your life comes to me bodily. I am not a spirit, a soul, 
and a body. I'm not one of these three. I'm a human. And I believe that you've come to save humans. I see a human raised from the dead. And that resurrected human can solve the problem of my humanity, which is mortality. I believe that I will also have eternal life because of you. That's it. Very simple. I am a human. This human has got a problem. Is losing existence. But there is now a human that is sealed to exist forever. And he is now Lord over me. I believe you are raised and that I will have eternal life like you. Amen. That's the short, powerful, full, comprehensive version of what the gospel is. Glory to God. Thank you so much for watching this. And then we will speak again next week. God bless.